Mr. Pilgrim! It is I, Matthew Patel. Consider our fight begun. the opponent, Pilgrim. Who the hell are you anyway? My name is Matthew Patel, and I'm Ramona's first evil ex-boyfriend. For what? Anyone need another drink? situation? I skimmed it. Mm -mm. You will pay for your insulin! Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and today, uh, welcoming a buddy of mine from uh, from IRL, as we used to say back in the day, um, and that is a fellow uh, teacher out here in Kagoshima, and that's Bill Barbado. Bill, how are you doing today? I am doing fine. Thank you for having me on your show. This is fun. Well, thanks for coming on. I mean, you and me have been talking about this stuff for a few years on and off, you know, in person when we do our game days uh, online on Facebook and whatnot. So I figured, why don't you come on the show at some point? I'm not I'm surprised it took me this long to even ask you to come on, but I just figured it was because you hated me. So I just that, I that, that in the background. Yeah, That might be a factor as well. It's a good point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, before we get started, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, again, my name is Bill Barbado. Uh, I don't really have much of a presence online, but I do stuff in the Star Trek and the Star Trek role-playing community, which could um, get into later, but that's not the important part. Uh, as Perry said, we talk a lot about comic books and films, and especially comic book films, because that's pretty much... Uh, one one of the big things that we share in common is our, our love of that. Perry, of course, is a lot more well-versed in comic lore and comic history. I stopped reading quite a number ago, a number of years ago, but I I was really into it, uh hardcore through the 90s into the early 2000s. But um during my university career, I kind of faded away. But uh, I still keep up with it now. The Marvel movies gives me a, a I, I guess, like a um, booster shot of what I'm missing in the comic book world every now and then. 
So it fills that void, but I'm more into science fiction and um, fantasy and those kind of stories these days. But uh, yeah, I'm always down for playing games, especially games revolving around superheroes and trying to always get a game set up with Perry to continue our our um, sessions that we haven't had in quite a long time. In fact, yeah, yeah. COVID messed us up for a bit. And then it was yeah. just, it's just been tough trying to find a uh, scheduling because my schedule's insane. So, and it's only yeah. gotten worse with two kids now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, I wanted to talk a bit about your, your comic history then. So what was sure. it that got you into, into superhero comics in the first place? Uh, I could go into a, a really nice inspirational story of um, how cool it is to to be in love with superheroes. But if you want to know the actual truth, which is I don't even know if I ever told anyone the truth, which is, I would say, a little embarrassing. But um, I think embarrassing stories are the more fun kind of stories. So uh, how I got into superhero comic books was uh, the Brady Bunch really okay yes yeah I, I i'm sure you did not see that coming no i definitely didn't like when you said it was something embarrassing i was trying to run through what possible scenarios and and now i'm not i'm not you know I, i'm just really confused and curious <laughs> confused yeah and but at least it checks the boxes for embarrassing but no i was i was homesick one day um as you do when you're in elementary school, you try to get sick as much as possible to mm -hmm. stay home. And there really wasn't much on TV at the time. And I turned on an episode of the Brady Bunch that was on. And I think it was Bobby or Peter. He was homesick from school too. And his father, Mike Brady, went and picked him up some comics and brought them home and gave them to him. And I thought, you know, I wish I had some comics to read while I'm laying here sick. So I asked my dad to take me to the newsstand, um, which there was a great newsstand in my hometown. It was from the 1930s and 40s, and it was unchanged from the 1930s and 40s. You stepped inside this place, you were transported back to another time. It was astonishing. And uh, run by a mafia guy, too. So it was pretty oh. cool. And they had hey, like... Just yeah. to jump in real quick, where are you from again? Uh, I'm from uh, Western Pennsylvania, okay. uh, just north of Pittsburgh, a uh, small town north of Pittsburgh. And they had the little spinner racks of comics there. And I went and I picked up a couple of comics and that started a chain reaction that led into um, mainly Marvel comics. I was mostly into Marvel. I branched down to DC later and then Image when that came on the scene and then spreading out to all the lesser known at the time but probably far more um revered um by like actual comic um mm -hmm. connoisseurs at the time but um yeah it started with marvel and i i like going into the lesser known the less popular characters I, I was far more into them at least in the very beginning than x-men or in comics i tried to sorry there was from. a we had a brief um we had a brief uh connection problem so you said um besides x-men and what else 
besides X-Men, Avengers, and any of the big um, big name stars at the time, the headline books, mm-hmm. I try to avoid those and try to stick to find something new, something that just didn't seem to get a lot of love. I, I've always been like that my whole life, trying to find little things. Not that I think they're going to take off, but and it's not for the uh what what is it like the whole um like the hipster reason yeah, of the like, hipster, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not it's not i i was into i was mm. into sleepwalker years before he was uh it was just more you know it's like well you know there's less people talking about it, so i can't really find out much about it unless i read it myself mm-hmm. so i i think that's what drew me to it and yeah it just spiraled from there eventually i did get into the big name ones, X-Men and then X-Men became like my passion mm-hmm. until I stopped collecting. So um, what were some of those uh, little lesser known characters that you kind of gravitated towards early on then? Oh, in the, well, I, I mentioned Sleepwalker there. Mm-hmm. That, that was when I think, I think when I started, I think the day that I went when I was sick, um, that day that kicked it off, I believe Sleepwalker issue two was on the newsstand. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And that was one of the first books I picked up. Um, then there was Dark Hawk, uh, which I think he came back semi recently. I, I heard the name pop up. There have been like he's he Dark Hawk is one of those characters that's like he's like a popular, lesser known character, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, because he's like he's had bouts where he, he, he hasn't really been able to he's he's one of these like cult fan favorite types of characters who hasn't really been able to sustain his own book but mm. whenever he pops up somewhere else you know all the Darkhawk fans get really excited about seeing him again yeah i was surprised i believe one of the expansions from a couple years ago the legendary marvel uh deck building game mm-hmm. i was surprised to see Darkhawk was listed as one of the characters in that set and like okay so he's still there he's still getting a little bit of love that's mm-hmm. good um so gosh it, there's there's so many that just failed so many series that failed that i i can't even think of off the top of my head um but yeah i i know of the those early ones Darkhawk, sleepwalker and oh gosh if i remember another one i'll tell you later mm-hmm. but, but yeah. yeah it's those were the ones that i started with yeah those are ones i um because I, I, my first kind of brush with comics was uh, the the animated series, but the X Men and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. But my brother had ran a, a comic book store, and a, it was like a sporting goods store, sporting uh, collectible store. But he had like comics and stuff like that too. And um, I'm sure you probably remember for anyone who's listening that doesn't, you know, trading cards were really big in the in the '90s, especially the early '90s. So he had like these. Um, these sets of like the 19 it was like a 1992 marvel trading card set and so oh, he had sent me like all those cards he had and like they had like a bunch of so you had the big name characters in there you had like the x-men spider-man um avengers captain america all those guys fantastic four hulk but they also had a bunch of the the lesser known characters like dark hawk like sleepwalker and that was my first exposure to a lot of those characters uh, through the uh, cards through the cards yeah and you know and some, I remember, you know, the first time seeing like a Sleepwalker trading car, I'm like, whoa, who's this guy? He looks pretty interesting. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until years later that I actually read the comic and found and found out, oh, this is actually pretty decent. Not- yeah, it, it was shockingly good, but mm. it just never picked up. 
there was a lot of that going on back then in the early 90s where they were trying out a bunch of different things and kind of like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what stuck. So they did that. Like they knew Warriors, Darkhawk, Sleepwalker, um, Slapstick, a bunch of other stuff like that. Mm. that They were just tossing all over the place. Um, For me, I remember one of the lesser books that I got really into, and this was back in like the mid, late 90s, was, I'm not sure if you ever remember this, but Slingers, where it was like, it was a spinoff of, there was this time in the Spider-Man books where he had to take on different identities mm-hmm. and so he had like and there were four spider-man books at the time so each spider-man book had spidey spider-man in a different costume identity so you had like um uh prodigy um you had a uh, hornet um ricochet um and dusk were the four different identities mm. and then that was like a storyline that lasted for about a few maybe a month or a few months and then after that those identities became adopted by other characters and it was this um this short-lived book where they called themselves they were called uh called the slingers and it was just this really cool like i think like it was it only lasted like 12 or 13 issues um little team book with uh, these four characters that were you that had picked up these identities yeah i don't think i don't think i i heard that one i don't even remember it's not sparking anything for me if it's worth checking out if you if you can find the the issues i'm not sure if they've got any i don't think they have any trades of it but Good some of those, yeah. yeah, some of those characters have pretty much all popped up since then. I was just reading something the other day, a more recent Marvel book, and they had like a bunch of the Slingers characters pop up in that. Oh wow, the original yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've popped up from time to time um, since the book has been canceled. Um, it it was a it was an interesting it was an interesting book, and it's it it I remember that was one of those examples of like one of those cult hit books. Mm. Um, so um, so anyway, today we are talking about something a little bit, uh, it's a, based on a comic book. It, it kind of skirts, it's one of those movies that kind of skirts the line of whether or not this is really a, a superhero movie or not, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's got a comic book background. It's got yeah. enough superhero pedigree kind of behind it that I, the, and plus it, it, it's my fucking show. So I make the rules. So, <laughs> so I say, yeah, I say it counts. Um, and that is uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, yeah. Now, this is based on a comic book. It's based on um, by uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, um, mm-hmm. uh, originally published through like a small press, then later picked up by Oni Press. And I think now it's been published by something by some other imprint now. Um, have you ever read any of those uh, those uh, comics that it was based on? I did. I did. I read, I think, almost the original set. I've never finished it because i really didn't like the comic as much as i enjoyed the movie okay like i'm i mean it's pretty much the same story on the original one but Mm. it expands there's more characters that are mentioned in the movie but they actually have a role to play in the comic but i i don't know why i just didn't feel entertained by it which is quite the opposite of how i feel about the movie Mm -hmm. yeah i i've never read the comic book um but it's but yeah it it was quite a quite a long uh list it's like um five or six volumes or something like that yeah and he had um or six six volumes just found Mm -hmm. out and his it was i was actually reading about this in uh last night it was interesting how he got the idea for it was he wanted to make um kind of like a shonen uh 
inspired uh, comic from the shonen manga inspired comic book, but he had never really read any shonen manga before he <laughs> before he got the idea. So I always thought that. So when I was reading that, I'm like, oh okay. He so he was a fan of shonen manga, and that's and then I said, but he, he had never read any shonen. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then later he had and then he had done research and gotten kind of in the mindset of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, usually. Usually when you want to make something in a certain style, it's because you have a deep passion for that style and you mm -hmm. want to copy it. But uh, yeah, it's interesting though that he's like, I want to make this, but I have no idea what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny when I was reading up about that. Yeah, that's it. Cool. Now I've never read, like I said, I've never read the books, um, but, and this movie caught me by surprise. I had no idea what to expect going into this. Same, um, yeah. Because I don't even think I saw any trailers of it. Um, it was just, I was... I think I was just back in town in in Chicago at that time. And a bunch of my friends were like, oh, let's go see Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I'm like, what's that? I have no idea what this is. <laughs> yeah. So we go in and, you know, sitting in the movie theater and watching this movie as it unfolds without having any preconceived idea about what it is. I was at first I thought, oh, it's just like kind of like an indie romance comedy type of thing. And then when, um, uh matthew patel appears and they start the fight i'm just like what the hell is going on now? <laughs> yeah. yeah that i think i think that's the turning point in the film for pretty much everyone it's like it's a quirky comedy uh there's the romance elements it it, it looks like a stylistic rom-com mm -hmm. yeah and then you get to that point and it's not in just how outlandish the fight is and you have the whole bollywood musical you mm. have the demons appearing you have flying you have the superimposed video game graphics but then nobody really responds to it mm -hmm. in the audience as if there's anything really out of the ordinary it's like oh well that just happened yeah and they just carry on and then you get the sense okay so this is the world we're dealing with here they, mm -hmm you can't really trust anything that you're seeing because it's just batshit insane. Anything could happen and it's going to be the norm, no matter how strange it might, maybe even for them in the moment, once it's done, it's like, well, okay, let's go. Yeah. 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 So I, and, and like the first, up until we get to that point, I'm just kind of like, eh, it's okay. It's entertaining enough. Um, you know, I'd known Michael Sarah obviously from Arrested Development and, Kieran Culkin, I'd seen him in um, some movie. He had been, well, Igby goes about Igby goes down. So I recognize both of them. And and one of the things that strikes me rewatching this movie now, like what is it, ten years later or whatever? Um, about that, yeah. Is that uh, just how much, how many of these people went on to become like really famous afterwards? Oh yeah, like oh yeah, you know, I mean, you got. Uh, Michael Sarah, he was, you know, not really so much now, but like Anna Kendrick, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, uh, even like you know Chris Evans, right? <laughs> and Chris Evans, yeah, pre Captain America, Chris Evans, Brie Larson, pre Captain Brie Larson, Marvel. pre Captain Marvel, yeah, and uh, pre um, Skull Island, um, Brandon Ruth. This was after. This Superman. was yeah. This was after this was Superman after Returns. Superman. Yeah. But he was in a his career was in a weird place because this was yeah. after Superman Returns and he wasn't really doing a whole lot of stuff like he had popped up in he'd popped up in this he had popped up in um, uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. 
but mm. I don't remember a whole lot of other things that he was really doing at the time until his kind of like renaissance of a sort came about with um, when he started doing the DC TV stuff, when he pl- started playing yeah. the Atom yeah. uh, on Arrow. And that that kind of like kickstarted a new phase of his career. Um, but other than that, like he wasn't really doing a whole lot at this time. So I, I mean, I always loved him in Superman Returns. I always felt he got mm-hmm. kind of a raw deal. So I love seeing him pop up in anything. Oh yeah, I thought, I mean, we're straying uh, a bit, but I always thought he was a great continuation of the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah. I just thought the story itself was where the fault lied. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of issues with that. But even like, even in smaller roles too, like you had uh, Tom Jane pop up as one of the vegan police officers. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, there's a lot of, there's a heavy comic book superhero film presence Mm -hmm. in this movie, even though it's not strictly a superhero movie. Um, but it is definitely a comic book. I would say it's more of a comic book video game hybrid. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny how many of these actors who some of them, like, yeah, like you said, some of them started off in superhero stuff, but some of them went on to do superhero stuff afterwards. Like Mary yeah. Elizabeth Winstead, she went on to play the Huntress in uh, Birds of Prey. And um, and like you mentioned, Brie Larson, she went on to do Captain Marvel after this. Um yeah, and... this, this movie has, I mean, when you look at it now, like you said, 10 years later, it seems even more like a superhero film yeah. because you recognize these faces from all these other roles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what were, what were kind of, what did you remember about seeing this for the first time? What was kind of your experience going into it? Honestly, the first time I saw this, uh, again, just like you, I really didn't see anything about it. The only thing I knew about the movie was the name. <laughs> I saw the title for it. And this was even before I read the comics because I just heard people talking about it, but I didn't know anything they was about. And back in the day, I, I used to go maybe every week, every Friday, and I would just buy a new DVD or two that gets released, something I don't know, but it was so cheap back in the US that you could just buy a handful of dvds mm-hmm. and even new releases they weren't that expensive so every now and then i would because i'm still in japan i was still in japan at the time i would ask my mother when she's sending a care package to pick up a few dvds throw it in the box and again they're so cheap i didn't really care it would be an experiment and this was one of the movies mm-hmm. because the name was just intriguing to me so i got it and i watched it alone uh, in my living room and like I said I had nothing no expectations no idea what to expect and it was at the time the funniest movie I could remember I, I was laughing so much throughout this movie I love all the little visual things that they do Mm-hmm. the the background humor some of it subtle some of it very overt but just the whole style of the movie for that point in time it grabbed me it held me and it had my complete attention which is pretty hard to do nowadays for mm-hmm. me I, I mean my attention wanders i start doing things but this movie i don't think i moved from the sofa until it was finished and I was, it was an adventure for me. I was taken on this completely unexpected trip that the only thing that has done this since then, I think the only film that has had that same effect on me 
uh, has been everything everywhere all at once. I still where, have to see that. Oh, I, I, I will gladly watch it again with you someday if you would like to, because I, I'm, I'm up for watching it another time because that it's, it's very different from this. Um, but not that much mm -hmm. in the sense that it's nothing that you could have predicted going in. And it's hilarious. It's visually amazing. It was, again, captivating. I could not move from my seat. Yeah, I've been looking forward to uh, watch that. I've been checking the Sutaya for their new releases, waiting for that to pop up because I want to be able to get it with subtitles. I'm sure yeah. I would want to watch it too. Yeah. But that's what I'm definitely looking forward to to watching, especially because I've been hearing people talk about it nonstop. Oh yeah. Um. So, yeah, and I, I'm with you with on the whole attention. It is hard for things. As I'm getting older, I'm finding it's harder for things that I'm new to to really grab my attention. Um, mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to like TV shows and 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 movies, it's 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 a lot harder for me to get into something that I don't have some preconceived attachment to or expectation yeah. of. Um. But so this one going into this, like it, it, this was a time, especially in my life when I was much more willing to, to give new stuff a try. So I think that was also a big factor in it. Um, and, and like you, it was probably one of the funniest movies I had seen in a, in a while at that point. And it had me, it had me, it had me laughing out loud several points, uh, the first time I watched it. Um, now what do you feel rewatching it now, uh, after, you know, in pre preparation for, for this episode? Yeah, it's been a few years since I've seen it. Um, when when I went back to watch it, um, just for this this podcast here, uh, it still holds up. Mm -hmm. I think that I think the humor is still on point. I think the style of the film, the the way it's directed, the way it's put together, is just very tight and on point. Like where they have the what you're seeing on screen matches up perfectly with the sounds that they're throwing at you the the whole thing it, it's i didn't see anything in there that felt like oh well this this doesn't work these days anymore mm -hmm. or, i've seen this so many times now that it's no longer impressive to me i the movie feels timeless because it doesn't really fit in any time it's so again it's so weird it's so strange that it it doesn't feel like oh well this was the the mid aughts mm. this was this was the late 90s it just this is a strange video game universe that exists in the world that also looks like ours and i think every time i see it i catch something new that makes me think like oh that's that's interesting i never saw that before and mm -hmm. like there's so many layers to it that i mean you spend so much time laughing you're listening to what they're saying. You're you're just trying to take in the absurd story that it's easy to overlook a detail here, a detail there. But when you notice it, then it's like, oh, I wonder what else I missed. I mm -hmm. wonder what else was there for a decade that I have yet to even pick up on. Right. So right. I really, I think, yeah, 10 years later, well, it hasn't been 10 years for me. I watched it again a couple of years ago, but, but even 10 years from its debut, it still feels fresh. It still feels original, and it's mm -hmm. still funny. Yeah, um, for me, the it, it still does hold up. Uh, the jokes, I don't laugh as much as I did when I first saw it, but I still 
appreciate the jokes. It's not one of those situations where, like, you know, when you watch some of the, some movies, like, I think Happy Gilmore or, or Billy Madison are good examples, right? You know, when I remember, I remember when I first time I watched those movies, laughing my ass off, and now mm-hmm. watched it, just like, oh god, those those jokes are terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like, there's nothing like that in this movie. It's still no, like I can still appreciate the jokes even if they don't make me laugh anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, and there are some things that I appreciate even more with time, like Chris Evans. I I've gained so much appreciation of Chris Evans as an actor, not only because yeah. of what he's done, you know, in with you know Captain America, but what he's done in a lot of other movies too, and just been amazed at how versatile he really is. And and it's funny to go back and see this because at that time, I think mostly we'd only really known him, at least my, for me, like I'd only really known him from the Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, <laughs> I and, think it was um, the same for me too. Yeah, which he was great in. Don't get me wrong, but. Mm-hmm. And he had had this, and it was years later I found out that he was also in Not Another Teen Movie that I completely forgot about, and I never put those two things together. Oh, I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, he was the main character in uh, Not Another Teen Movie. I I, I know those are the kind of movies I watch once mm-hmm. and not again, so... I have vague humanoid shapes of people in my memory that were in there, but I don't have any actors' I, names. I'd recommend checking it out again. That's a that's one of the rare parodies that actually still holds up pretty well. Okay, and, I'll check and that it, out. it's it's really cool seeing Chris Evans in it because you get you get a sense of what he was doing back then, and you see what he's doing now, and you realize that this is a guy who could really kind of do anything. Like he can do. He can do action. He can do humor. He can do serious dramas. Like in, um, there's this movie that um, uh, Kotno rented, I think it was last year called Gifted. And he mm-hmm. was just, he was amazing in that. And he does really well in like all these different roles. And and I didn't realize this at the time because all we'd seen him in was basically being Johnny Storm. And yeah. the character he plays in this, um, Lucas Lee, yeah, kind of fits yeah. that kind of idea, right? It's like this yeah. egotistical action star type thing so he does kind of fit that um but after seeing all this other stuff going back and watching him in this it is cool to see like how versatile he he is over the course of a career and he's one of the best parts of the movie his, oh yeah his character scene just again going with with how a lot of things are subtle and a lot of things are overt like every scene with these ex-boyfriends that come out and fight they have a mixture of subtle humor and just over the top humor. But I think for the subtle humor for him in his scene is really how he portrays his character. And just Mm -hmm. with a casual ease that he pulls off what could be corny lines or just cheesy little reactions. He does it with this cocky swagger Mm -hmm. that, makes it even funnier and makes you makes you think like this character honestly believes these things that he's saying this yeah. character honestly does react in that way like even the look on his face when he's thinking about um doing the taking the skateboard down the the handrail and when scott pilgrim mentions to him that all the girls are watching you just see like just in that brief mm-hmm. flash in his eyes like everything that's going through that type of a cocky smug character's mind is reflected right there in the half a second the the man is amazing and like watching it 10 years ago i thought it was one of the best parts in the whole movie one of the best scenes and like you said watching it now knowing who he 
is. I mean, he always was that person, but who he is as an actor and mm-hmm. the skill that he has, the ability he has, it does let you appreciate more that like, oh my God, a decade ago, I was watching a master at work mm-hmm. and I was just appreciating how good the scene was, but I didn't realize the talent that this man does have. Similarly, I, th- I felt the same thing with uh, Brandon Routh too, yeah. uh, because yeah. he, he does, because you know, you look at Brandon Routh, the types of characters he's played, he's always had this kind of like affable, you know, charming personality to him in all his performances, but he always tends to play like smart characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. Superman, yeah. the Adam, yeah. and this, you know, he's seen playing like an egotistical jackass who yeah. thinks he's smarter than he actually is. Yeah. <laughs> not quite, not quite. Yeah. <laughs> so it is like, I love watching that the scene when the vegan police come, I love watching this every time. And he's like, he's like, boy, you know, gelato's not vegan. He's like, wait, <laughs> yeah. chicken's not vegan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, again, um, his scene with Chris Evans too, those are the top two scenes in the entire movie. Those mm. every time I I've watched it, because I've probably seen it in the last 10 years, I've probably seen it a good six or seven times. But every time I watch it, those are the two scenes I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah. Because again, you you have these highly talented actors who can do a lot who um have done a lot before or most of them really have done a lot since right that really showcase these abilities but again at the time 10 years ago i didn't really know who they were besides these single roles here and there that i may have seen them in so I've always had like i can't wait for this scene i can't wait for the lucas lee scene i can't wait for the todd scene mm-hmm. And then you go back and you watch it now and you realize that those are the scenes by probably the two greatest actors in oh, the yeah. movie. Yeah. And that's why it it lingers with you that long because they knock it out of the park. It's amazing. You know who always impresses me in this is um as well uh, is Mae Whitman, who um she plays the um the 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 the, the only the form the ex-girlfriend instead of one of the ex-boyfriends. And because uh-huh, yes, what yes, I yes. know her from, and uh-huh. I'm not sure if you you've ever realized this, but she was um, Michael Sarah's girlfriend in Arrested De- Development, Anne. Oh, right, the kind of like the kind of like frumpy. Everyone yeah. forgets she's there, and so seeing her in that, and then seeing her in this, it always, I always do a double take on that because I'm always. I'm always like, wait, wait, no, no, no. I'm thinking of someone else. It's not her. And then I double check. Like, no, it is her. It's the same actress. <laughs> oh, I, I, I never put that together. No. Oh, that's interesting. Now, now I have another reason to watch it again. Yeah, and because <laughs> that's an example of an actress who really completely disappears into the role she plays. Because yeah. you, you, even if you watch Arrested Development and Scott Pilgrim back to back, and you watch her episodes, the episode she's in is Anne. And then you watch her in Scott Pilgrim. I guarantee you, nine people out of ten will not realize it's the same actress. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I never, I never even thought about it. But yeah, okay, I, I, I have something new to, uh, to test myself on. I'm going to watch it side by side. Well, <laughs> Try to see. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the great things about this movie is just the fact how well cast it is. Like all the actors fit perfectly into the roles they're playing like you know if you want someone i don't know what it is about michael Sarah. i don't think he's ever not going to be awkward yeah he's i i haven't seen 
a single performance of his where I thought like, oh, he comes off as a smooth, well-adjusted mm-hmm. individual. Yeah. No, he, he he's it's kind of like an awkward teenage Jeff Goldblum. You're getting the same thing mm-hmm. every single role he's in, but he does it well. Yeah. Yeah. He pulls it off. Same as Jeff Goldblum. It's like, why, why would you care about him? He only plays himself, but he plays himself well. That it fits the roles that he's in, that that personality, that attitude, that cadence, the way he's delivering lines. Yeah, that works. It could be a horror, it could be a comedy, it could be a drama, mm-hmm. but it's still working. Yeah. And I think Michael Sarah is one of those actors that he can't shake who he is. But he knows how to use it to his advantage. Yeah, I think George Clooney is like that too, or also Dwayne yeah. Johnson, right? They they can do, I don't know about, I've never seen enough of Johnson to say if he could do better, but Clooney has proven he can do better, but he still just kind of gravitates to to what he's best known as. And he just kind of plays George Clooney. And yeah. <laughs> But it, it, he does it so well. He works really well in that. It in that works, kind of, yeah. 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 Um, and there are a few actors, Ryan Reynolds does that to an extent as well. Yeah. He, you know, he he plays Ryan Reynolds in every movie, but he does it so well that we don't care. I think it's because it's hard to hate Ryan Reynolds. It is. I it mean. is. There was a and this is kind of funny timing because just yesterday I read an article about um, T.J. Miller, who played Weasel. Oh, I, I think I read the same one you're about to talk about. Yeah. So um, so and he said he was talking about how, like, you know, Ryan Reynolds hates me now and I don't know why he hates me. And I'm just like, well, gee, maybe it's because of all the sexual assault allegations. <laughs> yeah. Could have something to do with it where, you know, a generally good, um, down to earth, helpful, kind human being mm. doesn't take well to somebody who sexually assaults people. Right. Yeah. But it, it did make me think about the fact I'm like, is there anything that Ryan Reynolds does that anybody would be like, I hate him because of this? And I can't think of anything because he just seems like such a decent guy and so and he's just so much fun to watch in all these movies yeah definitely definitely and i i don't know if i would say that michael Sarah has the same level of like he's definitely fun to watch in all the movies because i don't really like him that much i'm not saying i don't dislike him but i don't really like him that much as an actor but i do like his performances in his movies i think yeah i agree i think if he was the leading star, like he is in this, but you didn't have a strong enough supporting cast, I think his his awkward stick would get real old real fast. Yeah. One of the things that makes it bearable is when he has other people to play off of, like in Arrested Development, like in this, or like in uh, Superbad too. That yeah. was a similar kind of thing where that movie is great, but a big part of it is because he's got uh, Jonah Hill and um, I'm forgetting the other actor's name. Um, but all these other actors to play off of, and that makes it a lot more tolerable. Yeah, when when you get him with the right ensemble, yeah, it. I think you have to water him down. He's good in yeah. small doses, right? Although right. I will say the the worst performance of his that I've seen, and again, it's not that his performance is bad because we already know what the performance is even before he comes on screen. It just it didn't work. Uh, have you seen? his very brief cameo in the third season of twin peaks no i haven't seen that this third season yet okay i that just i don't know i mean as odd as twin peaks is on its own having him there really took me out of the entire thing i mean you know how strange that Mm -hmm. lynch can be right but michael Sarah was the thing 
that just knocked me out of the series and mm -hmm. in that fictional world they were creating for me and I tried to watch that episode a couple times again because I thought like oh, okay I was probably distracted that's why I did but I I can barely get through his scene at all and it's one scene in the entire season from what I remember but that was where it did not work for me well I think there's I remember I'm thinking of um I was trying to think of other stuff I've seen him in where and I think the fourth season of Arrested Development was mm -hmm. a chore to watch because one of the strengths of that show was the cast interacting with each other. And then when you have them all in these solo episodes, because they couldn't bring everyone together because of all the scheduling conflicts, you realize how terrible these people are individually and it does. <laughs> and the humor doesn't work then. Yeah. Well, I don't think I, yeah, I haven't seen any episode of fourth season, so I, I haven't suffered through. Yeah. That. It, 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 don't don't <laughs> okay i'll take your word for you um but but yeah he's and i think but other cast members too like mary elizabeth winstead she's another one who if you put her in the wrong role her stick gets real old very fast but her whole kind of like detached persona works really well for ramona flowers mm -hmm. but like again i'm thinking of birds of prey when she played the huntress like and you know she's a she's great in these roles that fit her, but that was a role that just did not fit her her style, her performance at all. Mm. Yeah, I again these these more recent DC uh, TV series I've barely seen, mm -hmm. so I'm not even familiar with her performance. So this was a this was a this was a movie. This was in uh, oh um, was it? Yeah, this was the Birds of Prey um, Harley Quinn movie. Oh, the Harley Quinn movie. Yeah, I don't really watch the DC movies. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know if I should apologize for that or if I should be accepting an award, but <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I stick to Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. They're not great movies these days. I mean, there's a lot of fun moments it's a lot of fun mm. action but i think that's we've we've reached a good plateau mm -hmm. of superhero film with marvel that you know when we were teenagers when we were growing up when we were into comics and we wanted these movies when mm. we were kids what we got was horrible yeah yeah what we got but we watched it we mm -hmm. wanted it to be good we still watched it again and again knowing we were hurting ourselves so even though Marvel is not like the high literature version of cinema here where you got these comic books being made into popcorn blockbusters, mm -hmm. it's at a good enough level that satisfies what I think comic book fans are mostly looking for mm -hmm. and what is strong enough to really please a general film going audience as well. So that's kind of my limit. DC strays pretty far from that in most of their films. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I really can't watch the DC movies. Some of the more recent ones, um, the post Snyder ones I've enjoyed for the most part, Wonder Woman 84 being the exception, being pretty mm -hmm. much the only exception. The rest of them, I've enjoyed uh, to varying degrees. Aquaman, I thought was great. I loved the Suicide Squad that James Gunn did. Um, I, I was, I was still kind of bored by it. Oh, really? Okay. I, I thought I would like it because, like, I, I've liked what James Gunn mm -hmm. has done with Guardians of the Galaxy. I liked the actors. I liked what I saw in the trailer, but. I think I actually turned it off with about 30 minutes left. Oh, okay. And thought, oh, I'll come back to it later. But it was not holding my attention. Okay. And I never did get back to it at the end. Okay. So um, I don't know. Yeah, that, that was one I really enjoyed. Uh, Birds of Prey, it was one that 
I enjoyed for the most part. I think it's a missed. I don't think it's a Birds of Prey movie, and I think there are some questionable casting choices with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and with who they got to play uh, Cassandra Kane. But other than that, it was it was a pretty enjoyable movie. I mean, Margot Robbie's always pretty much enjoyable as Harley Quinn. So, yeah, she was fun. I enjoyed watching her performance. I think it fit. Like when when Harley Quinn first debuted in like the Batman animated series, and you're wondering like who who is this? Mm-hmm. Now they're they're pulling out this like brand new character, and I always hated that back in the day when you have the the animation for for a popular comic book series, and they put in like this original character there. Try mm-hmm. to for whatever degree, whatever reason, you had like morph in the X Men one. And you have Harley Quinn here. Like, why? Why are they doing that? Why Joker have that? But, you know, you love the character. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she's great. And I think that Margot Robbie, like, really translates that. Yeah. That energy so well on screen. So I, I don't have any complaints about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other characters in, going back to Scott Pilgrim, like, Kieran Culkin is is one who I appreciate a lot more, especially because, you know, I, I don't know. Have you ever, have you seen Succession? No. Okay, so it's a great show, and he's in that too. And it's funny watching this after seeing just seeing finishing the third season of Succession because there are so many similarities between his two characters in those two properties. Mm-hmm. But they're, and it, it's so eerie. Like I could all, almost feel like Wallace in Scott Pilgrim seems almost kind of like the PG thirteen version of Roman from Succession. That's interesting because I liked his performance. So a comment like that makes me interested to see Succession because I would like to see what a non-PG-13 version of Wallace would be. Oh, it's, he is one of the most entertaining characters on that show. I mean, all the characters are pretty good, but he's definitely one of the most entertaining. And you've got, um, oh, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name. I'm going to think about it. And, uh, he played um he played striker in the in x2 brian Uh, cox brian cox that's he's he's also he's one of those actors in this show that just like completely devours all the scenery and just commands the screen every time he's on it um like the show is like everyone's good on that show but it is worth watching just for those two performances alone I will keep that in mind i'm going to have to do a few youtube searches for for the scenes and get a taste of what it is but also Aubrey Plaza in this, like her playing like the foul mouth best yeah. friend type yeah. role like that. I, I just I love watching her in this. And I'd seen this before I'd ever seen Parks and Recreation. So, oh, yeah. And she, so so going back in this after watching all of Parks and Rec is really uh, is really interesting to go back and see her in this. I mean, it's it's not it's not like they're that vastly different. The two characters, I mean, just just the way she portrays them with mm-hmm. that kind of like cold, deadpan delivery style. But I mean, I loved her in this movie, too, because like you, I, I really didn't know who she was before this. Mm-hmm. And just I love the fact they're bleeping out everything yeah. that she's saying. It's just like going bleep, bleep, bleep. But she's this sniveling, stuck up. Like she wants to brown nose with everyone. She wants to be popular, but she really is like the linchpin that's connecting everyone in this Scott Pilgrim universe together. Mm. But she's still constantly brown nosing as if like she needs to build up her her social circle even more. 
it's interesting to see how she's so similar and yet so different from her character on Parks and Rec in that way. Because April in Parks and Rec didn't give a damn what anybody thought of her. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> uh, whereas she's so much more concerned about what everybody else is thinking in some degree. And you're right, like the brown nosing stuff is really funny to see. Yeah, she, especially when Envy Adams and Todd mm. and they're backstage and she's trying to she's trying to be the one that knows everything to chime in like, oh, well, this and this and this and this. Right. As if anybody cared what she had to add, but she wants to keep herself relevant throughout the whole conversation mm. as if she's the most important thing. But again, she kind of is the most important thing because she's she's really who everyone in the Scott Pilgrim universe knows. Right. So she, I don't think, but I think she doesn't realize that the character, she yeah. doesn't realize she is the center. Okay. Uh, the other thing I want, really want to talk about was, was Ellen Wong. One of the interesting things about mm. this that I was, cause I was watching this last night and I was wondering to myself, I'm like, I wonder what the age difference really is between Ellen mm. Wong and, and Michael Sarah in real life. And it turns out she is actually um, like, three or four years older than Michael Sarah. <laughs> older than Mike. Yeah. How old were they when they, they made this movie? Do you so know? she, um, I don't know exactly, but she was born in, uh, just double checking now, the dates. Three uh, years older than him. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Sarah was born in 1988 and uh, Ellen okay. was born in 85. So there's a three year difference between them. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, so yeah, that 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 um that was an interesting thing. Um, I, what did you think of of Knives in this movie? Because I think she's one of those characters that I I think she Ellen Wong does a really good job of conveying that. I mean, plus she she looks the part, right? But not only that, but she does a good job of capturing that kind of like teenage enthusiasm. Oh yeah, I I mean, it's she seemed a hundred percent genuine mm -hmm. as this fanatical teenage high school girlfriend not even just girlfriend but who is a fan of, of like a band groupie mm -hmm. and just really into her boyfriend her boyfriend's in the band so she's really into the band and she just goes all out and then the how she reacts when she's betrayed by him mm -hmm. because he cheats on her yeah and how she then shifts that to okay well she's now in in love with uh what, what's in it young, young neil. neil yeah <laughs> so now she just goes right to him and she's all about him and it's just all about you know on the rebound but like i'm gonna make you jealous scott but scott mm -hmm. has absolutely no interest in that at all she was one of the best supporting characters yeah in the movie uh i liked her character more than i liked ramona yeah and, same here yeah now in fact when Originally, when this movie came out, um, and there's that brief moment when um, it seems like her and Scott are going to get back together, and then, which was actually the original ending, mm -hmm. with her and Scott getting back together. Um, and when I had seen that original ending, the first time I saw the DVD, I'm like, oh, that's much better. They should have gone with that. Now, looking at this movie again, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, no, I'm glad that she didn't get back together with Scott because she deserves better than Scott. She deserves a lot better than Scott. And I... I think that's one of the things I like the most about the whole movie. Scott is not a hero. Mm -hmm. Scott, he's not even really an anti-hero. He's just a dude. And he's not even a really 
good dude okay he's not a bad guy either he's just an average guy he messes up he's not great he's put in a strange situation and he just deals with it sometimes successfully sometimes not mm -hmm. but he's just an average person that there's nothing about him that really needs to or should be celebrated yeah but it's an enjoyable story it's an enjoyable adventure that he's on so for someone like knives yeah it's i think she won at the end of the day by mm -hmm. not being with him in yeah. the end because well first of all they shouldn't should have been together in the first place but right. second of all <laughs> second of all like he's not a great guy like yeah you don't want to be with that I remember um, fairly recently, this may have been like a few months ago, but I remember seeing some chatter on Twitter or something um, about how the the problematic aspects of this movie, because he's a 22-year-old dating a 17-year-old. And in principle, I understand that. But looking back on it, I'm thinking that, you know, he doesn't really, he's not doing anything with her, really. No. Yeah. No. Like he even says at the beginning, like we almost held hands once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not, it's not that he's dating her because he's exploiting her. It's that creepy hole. Okay. Right. I'm the, yeah. I'm yeah. The, I'm the out of high school for a few years, but I'm going to perv on the younger girls. Mm -hmm. She is his rebound from envy. Yeah. And it was probably just because of her, enthusiasm mm -hmm. and like oh my god there's a band playing boyfriend yeah that, yeah that drew her to him but again she's still a child she doesn't she's not really interested in any of that sexual stuff and he is still a man child who is also not interested mm -hmm. in any of that stuff either so i i've known people like that before where they really they're they're not at that i'm not even sure what kind if it's emotional or psychological maturity level where they are maybe 20 something mm -hmm. but the way they live their lives the way they don't realize they are an adult right and they don't think about adult things they're not really thinking like i need to have a girlfriend i need to have a family i need to have a job i i want to have sex it's just all i'm playing video games i'm playing my yeah, music yeah. i'm going out and doing that and they find the girlfriend and they still don't do anything with the girlfriend it's just somebody that they chill with mm. to play their games with yeah and yeah it's only when you might realize a situation like this, like, oh, you know, she's still in high school. Like, mm -hmm. there's a five-year difference. Like, yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's interesting you say that now, and I and I realized something, I realized something too that clicked for me is that neither of them is in the relationship because they're actually interested in the other person. No, they're, not they're, at all. <laughs> like, yeah. it, for, for Knives, it's just like, you know, it's the idea of having a boyfriend, someone that she could talk to about, all the school drama and stuff like that. And then later and being able to say like my boyfriend's in the band type of thing. Yeah. And, and for Scott, it just seems like, you know, just like, you know, to be able to say I have a girlfriend and that's it. And somebody play games with they yeah, go around yeah. like the whole time they're playing games in the arcade. He's just running his mouth about stupid things like mm -hmm. stupid video game trivia. It just, this is his gaming buddy. That's his girlfriend. So now he's not alone. He's safe. He has a girlfriend. But he doesn't really want her as a girlfriend. That's why he ends right. up cheating on her. Well, I mean, even like the way they talk too. Like 
they don't talk to each other. They just talk at each other. Like <laughs> yeah, when yeah. he's going through the whole Pac-Man yeah. spiel, yeah. she doesn't react at all. She doesn't no. say anything. She's just busy playing the game. Whereas Ramona care. is like, why are you telling me this shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's Ramona's actually listening to him, mm. even though she doesn't give a damn about what those words right. mean. Whereas, like you say, I think that's that's a great thing. They are talking at each other. She's talking about her school drama, all the thing about like growing up um, with her friends. Mm -hmm. He's talking about all these stupid video game things that she doesn't care about. The only thing yeah, that you mentioned that they have in common is they both are excited that they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend mm -hmm. and they can say they have that. Well, even that moment um, when they're in the record store and she's talking about Envy. Mm. and and she's like don't you just love her and and um and scott's like no and he starts you know hinting about their past together and and knives doesn't react at all to what he's saying she just keeps yeah. gushing over envy yeah because she's more about the music she's more about her interests her own right. interests yeah, and that's yeah. why my boyfriend's a bass player in the band so mm -hmm. woo like right, right. my boyfriend kissed envy adam so i kissed the lips to kiss envy adam like that's that's the stuff that's registering for her, for her. Mm -hmm. It's not any sort of care or love for Scott himself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it. Yeah, it's a. It's, yeah, I think that narrative that it's. I mean, it, there are problematic aspects of it, but it's it it's such a weird situation that it. It's not a good yeah. situation, but it's not quite what I think people are. Yeah. Interpreting it as. No, I think if you just look at it from the outside, it seems really off-putting mm -hmm. and disgusting. But when you see how it's depicted in there, it's like, oh, they're just like a couple of goobers that right. don't really know what the heck is even going on in their own lives. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what you what you said too about, you know, Scott not just being kind of a regular guy. I think one of the things that I think that in retrospect, now that I've seen this movie a few times and why I now like the fact that him and Ramona get together is the fact that they're both so careless with other people. Like you see that with all the, the stories of her exes that she's, she's really kind of the, she's kind of the bad one in those, in a lot of those situations. She just oh, kind yeah. of like, you know, tosses them away as soon as she loses interest. Yeah. And Scott does the exact same thing to, uh, to knives. Like the second he's got the potential for something more interesting, he, he loses complete interest in knives. Completely. I mean, like a shocking, mm -hmm. I think, his response to knives how he treats knives is far more disgusting than the fact that he's a 22 year old dating a 17 oh, yeah. year old absolutely yeah. like that is the far worse personality trait mm -hmm. of his yeah because he and yeah you're right she doesn't care ramona she doesn't really care about her ex-boyfriends the moment that she gets what she needs from that relationship she's ready to move on it's like she mm. said she changes her hair like what every 10 days or whatever yeah yeah changes the color or something else so she seems to do the same with her exes mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah you're right because she does like every single one of them it was like yeah it was like two weeks and then i moved on <laughs> yeah it's like it lasts as long as her hair color yeah um also i thought jason schwartzman was a was a good choice for for yeah. gideon in this because yeah it's kind of like if especially at this time if you were to make me think of who would be like the ultimate hipster actor i think jason schwartzman would <laughs> yeah. definitely be on that list so yeah. it makes sense that he plays like the big bad hipster in this movie yeah. 
Yeah, I I really loved him as the final villain, Gideon. That that was because uh, he has that he's has that kind of jackass smarmy quality mm-hmm. that he can pull off so well, but also delivering his lines with such the ridiculous lines, but delivered with such conviction mm-hmm. as if there's any weight behind it that completely reflects that character that the character really has no substance at all it's all flash it's all image there's really nothing of value to him it's all about maintaining this image of superiority Mm -hmm. i love his line where where he when he's being defeated and he's he's just angry because do you know how long it took him to put together this group? Mm-hmm. Two hours. <laughs> it's like, it's like, but he's saying it as if like, oh my God, you actually spent two hours on that. Like, but it's like, you only put two hours into this grand master mm-hmm. plan of yours. <laughs> it, like, I, I love that line. And yeah, his performance, he, it it almost does feel like a um parallel universe Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes sense for him to be in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good point you made about the the two hours thing, because I, I realized something else too. I'm remembering when he when um Scott is reading the email from from Matthew Patel and he's just like, <laughs> yeah. This is so boring. Delete. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like that's there is yeah. something to be said about this. I think this movie has got something to say about um yeah. the attention spans of millennials. Yeah. I, I I think so. Oh, you know, that that reminds me. There was oh, it was probably 10 years ago when the film came out. There was a review for the film I read because again, I, I had no idea what this thing was. So after I watched it. I'm like, where was this my whole life? Mm-hmm. I've never heard of this. I, I remember a review. I don't remember who said it, but really the review was the reviewer seems like kind of kind of almost like a Gideon type um film critic mm-hmm. where where it's all about he has a much higher sense of who he is as a film critic, but he doesn't really want to let on the, he doesn't have the substance to back it up but but the review what what it got to me was it seemed like the reviewer was saying he liked the movie he would talk about like oh it has funny moment this 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 but every other sentence would be woven with like a snarky backhanded Mm -hmm. comment about today's generation society and like oh it would probably keep the hold the attention span of the iphone oh yeah i remember i remember seeing that review as well so yeah yeah yeah. you know what i'm talking about so yeah i I think i think he's right but he's wrong Mm -hmm. it's as as you said it's really a reflection of this generation of society Mm -hmm. where like time really is meaningless to them as they don't really appreciate what time is about they Mm -hmm. don't put the time in to really get anything out he doesn't scott doesn't put the time in to read the email alerting him that he's about to come under attack ramona doesn't put the time in to appreciate the boyfriends and the exes not even boyfriends that she's had in the past scott doesn't put the time in to listen to knives and even pay attention to her as a girl they're just jumping from one flashy thing to another right but whereas that's kind of what 
the characters are about the world they live in and why this has such a video game theme to it where it's flashy it's it's exciting it's on the spot but then you're going to the next stage and the next stage that reviewer is kind of missing the point and using it as a old man shaking his fists at the clouds moment right yeah because even though critiquing it right because even though edgar wright himself isn't a millennial he was born in 74 millennials Mm -hmm. starts there are different definitions some say 81 some say like but then some say there's like the in-between zennial generation i've heard between 79 and 81 yeah yeah as like the common thing but nobody but still he was born like he was born in 74 and he seems to have even though he's not part of that generation he seems close enough where he can kind of understand it a little bit more Mm -hmm. and i think that's definitely reflected in this because this isn't um this isn't like those millennials are killing x articles that were flying all over the place a few years (laughs) ago right it's more like it it's it's both critical and appreciative of millennials i think yeah i think that's the perfect way of saying it because it's not mocking them like that reviewer was doing mocking Mm -hmm. them it's basically just shining a flashlight on them or spotlight or or maybe shining the um, glowing screen of their smartphones on them right yeah yeah spotlight like you're you're seeing them for who they are but it's not it's not being done in a way to take them down the peg mm-hmm. it's being done in a way like this is who they are yeah yeah i think this is a movie that if you're not part of that generation or close to it you're not going to get it probably not no and uh, i just want to add one one little comment here uh that that reminds me of of not getting it i i think i mentioned to you before maybe when we were talking about doing this this episode but uh i watched this with my uh girlfriend who became my wife Mm -hmm. uh so i wanted to show her this movie too because it was like my favorite comedy back then Mm -hmm. like you gotta see this but of course i have to like we talked about with everything everywhere all at once you want to get with the subtitles um so she could like get the full appreciation so i got with the japanese subtitle though i had the dvd in my house i rented it and i showed it to her and again i was laughing my ass off um next to her sitting in a stoic silence Mm -hmm. (laughs) through the entire film and uh, there's two reasons there are two main reasons for it number one was the subtitles really could not translate this humor Mm-hmm. correctly and in a lot of the scenes the the japanese translator um honestly tried to make the scene make logical sense even when there was no logical sense to be made so the subtitles was almost creating a brand new story for certain scenes mm-hmm. just to try to explain what you're seeing on screen and why it would be happening and so when i was looking at the subtitles and like that is not what this scene is about at all. Like, wow, there's like no humor in it. And the second thing is that she's not part of that that generation from yeah. the West that any of this would be resonating with her mm-hmm. yeah. in any way. So yeah, you you really have to be inside that window or at least have a nice connection with that part of the culture 
to really get a lot of the humor and a lot of the message that the film was trying to say, I think at least. Yeah, I think I think that's true because I had the, I had a similar situation with uh, with Cotino because last night I put it on to prepare for this and she's like, "What are you watching?" I'm like Scott Pilgrim, and she's like, "Oh yeah," and she reminded me that I had showed it to her once before and either she was too drunk or she fell asleep because she doesn't really remember it. I'm like, okay, so and. And I use Plex, so if it if there's not subtitles on it, it lets you search for subtitles. So okay. we search for subtitles, and there was there were two Japanese results, and I tried them both. First one we tried, I had it on for a little bit, and she's like, "These subtitles are really strange," and I wasn't paying attention to them, so I wasn't sure. So I just thought, "Oh, maybe it was a fan translation or something like uh -huh. that." So we tried the other subtitle file, and she just kind of lost interest and just eventually got up and went to bed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I mean, those might both be official subtitles because mm -hmm. the one we watched from the official rental dvd um uh, from tsutaya was so boring and tried to make the world of scott pilgrim a logical explainable place mm -hmm. and it's like wow like how can you kill the it, it would be like trying to rationally explain the events of the movie airplane yeah yeah it's like it's you're not supposed to it's mm -hmm. supposed to be absurd yeah yeah yeah, they, they did not get that. So whoever did the translation as well was probably not part of that Western millennial I think so. uh, cultural yeah. bubble. So yeah, they, they lost it there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think one of the things too, and you had mentioned this early on, um, and I, I also love like how just none of this stuff is explained, right? Just the whole, yeah. the fact that all of a sudden Scott goes from just being this, you know, unassuming, slightly dickish, awkward young adult to suddenly being able to do all this video game shit out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. and you have you know all these different characters who are have superpowers based on whatever they're doing yeah right like you know matthew patel has the whole magic and the whole bollywood song and dance thing um uh todd has the whole vegan telekinesis <laughs> superpowers <laughs> The, the you know the standard vegan telekinesis that they mm -hmm. all have yeah yeah uh which i i love too that they um again poking fun at stuff like poking fun at you know uh over righteous vegans where yeah. where, where he's like oh well obviously it's like i'm just better than you that's yeah. why i have superpowers yeah. and then when he's trying no being vegan makes you better <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then when he's yeah, like look it's it, it just like the whole thing like yeah if you knew the science that I would, then I would listen to what you have to say type <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah. That line that I think that line is far more hard hitting these days than mm. 10 years ago, because yeah. like that is used in various forms so much now where just like Todd, the people who are saying it are the ones who know the least. About yeah. 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 About. He's like a walking example of the Dunning Kruger effect. Yeah. It's, it's great. That's why I get Todd and Lucas Lee had two mm -hmm. top moments of a great fun film, but they they really I think those two really highlight the strengths of this movie. Those mm -hmm. two moments there, and even if the rest of the movie was a flop, it would be worth watching for those two scenes alone. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, anything else you wanted to mention about Scott Pilgrim? I think I've said everything that I really have to say about it. No, I, I think I think we covered. I mean, we could keep talking for hours about mm -hmm. the cool little things here and there, but I mean, yeah, I think we covered what should be said about the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, so yeah, 
in summary, I it's it's a film that again, if you're of that generation, um, it's definitely and you haven't watched it, which I don't think there's anyone Probably of our generation who <laughs> yeah. hasn't watched yeah. it yet. But if I, for some reason you haven't, then it is worth checking out again. Um, it, it still does hold up in a lot of ways. Like the humor may not be as funny as it was back then, but overall the movie is still really entertaining. Definitely. Okay, uh, Bill, do you have anything you wanted to plug? Any anything you want to promote before we close up? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I it's um, it's nothing uh, spectacular, but uh, as I said, pretty much into um, Star Trek and role playing, and have a very very small YouTube channel, very small, very casual YouTube channel, um, where we do a lot of Star Trek discussion. Star Trek Adventures uh, role-playing game. It's uh, The channel's name is The Final Frontiersmen. So if you search on YouTube and you're interested in um, anything Star Trek or the role-playing game, please check us out. Okay, and uh, we'll have the link for that in the show notes. Oh, Bill, thanks for, for coming on the show. It was fun having this discussion with you uh, on, um, on mic for once instead of uh, just um, without anybody else listening in. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for inviting me. I hope to uh, be back on sometime in the future. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime you want to come back on. And uh, that does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephile. SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website, Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you subscribe to the Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, then you get access to these episodes a week in advance. Plus, you also get ex- access to the, um, the Patreon-only subscriber episodes where we talk about comic books and graphic novels. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.